Hello, hello. Welcome to Random Acts of Living. I'm your host, Emilia Nordhuk. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited about the story that I have to tell you. So let's go ahead and just dig right into the meat of it. Here we are, live with Chris Block. It's Random Acts of Living. Yay! The crowd goes wild. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So, Chris, uh, so much has happened since we last spoke. Um, We've had an insurrection. We've gone through... um, uh, You're vaccinated? I am fully vaccinated. Woohoo! How about you? I also am fully vaccinated. So, um, so yeah, so that's been really exciting to be able to, um, to openly hug people. And of course, my question for you is, have you been able to go to the steam baths? Well, you know, it's interesting because they just opened a few days ago and I'm scheduled to go <laughs> twice this week. So yes, I am. I'm fulfilling awesome. my commitment to doing more of what I missed during the pandemic and doing less of what I didn't miss. Right. I've been actually reading a lot of articles about that, that people are like, this is, you know, this is a perfect moment to reset. And I think as we come out of it, like I know for me, there's a little bit of anxiety of like, oh, am I going to remember all of the lessons from the past year of like all of the things that we've talked about that are really important to do and you know, and all of that. And I, I found myself getting a little anxious about this. And I was just like, well, that's not right. <laughs> that's not, that's really not the right mindset. <laughs> so what, but, what do you um, think, what, what is the biggest thing you think you'll take from this pandemic um, as far as lifestyle? I think the biggest thing, I will take from it is is to not um, take things for granted, and and in that I mean you know like we've discussed before, like being able to go to you know the hot baths, like being able to spend time with people um, at like say sporting events or in concerts, and I think even more more important to me is to just be just to continue to be present in my life. Right. Because I think there's just been so much loss and I don't, I think, yeah, I don't think I've mentioned this to you, but after in March, right before I went on that big trip um, and the RV broke down. So like there was this whole thing that was like a disaster, like the RV died like two hours into the trip and we had to have it towed and the engine, you know, it's just like, like the universe says, yeah, just wait. (laughs) and then my dad tested positive for covid and it was after he had the first uh moderna vaccine dose it was three weeks after that and he still tested positive and you know and he had to have like the um infusion and he was pretty sick and um and now he's got like the lingering um after effects of covid so uh you know I just feel like I, I'm so lucky to be able to, you know, that he didn't, that it's, that it wasn't more severe. Yeah. So, and, and that I really appreciate as annoying as 
my parents can sometimes be having living lived with them for the past year, that I'm really grateful that I have gotten to spend this time with them. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, Milo, who's nine, has been in Zoom school all year. And so, you know, we've, we've all spent a lot of time together. And it's been, you know, it, 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 that is a blessing, particularly at nine, because yeah. you know, he's still young enough to want to do stuff together. And um, even when we have play dates, you know, the adult is still involved because, you know, I, he doesn't go to a park alone yet, per se. And so mm-hmm. all of these things happen in this year with him that would have happened like half as much if it hadn't been for the pandemic. And so I just, you know, and, and, and yeah, so the, the, from that standpoint, the timing was good because every year a child gets older, obviously they want to spend less time with the adults right. in their life as it should be. Right. So I, I, I'm, I am really grateful for that. Um, and, um, I think also, um, I, I do think it will change the way I work because I, I do think I've always had a pretty high standard for meetings. Like I think mm. in this current job, I say no to at least 60% of the meeting requests that people make. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't mean I don't want to have a phone call. It doesn't mean we can't interact, but I'm in a culture right now where the, the thing is, if you value the work that we're going to do together, you will schedule a weekly call indefinitely. And I, I don't believe that. Oh, that's, that's Charlie. He's, just, he's looking for, you know, he has an attachment to a tennis ball. So <laughs> he gets very attached, but well, he's um, a lab, right? I mean, this is- he's a chocolate lab. So he's, he is, it's-, it's something that he fetched. So he feels a great affinity to it. But, you know, I've always had a pretty high standard for meetings and not letting them sort of run my life. Uh, And I'm pretty intentional about that. I mean, again, I say no to 60 percent of meetings because I just think they're a poor way necessarily to show that you value somebody um, scheduling a meeting. There's lots of other ways to do that. Um, There's lots of other interactions. So. But I but I will say that this this pandemic, I, I am. And I, so I don't Zoom all day from morning till night. I don't, you know, start my Zoom day at eight and go through six. That I will definitely take this new way of meeting with me post-pandemic. I think this idea that there are probably, and I want to be pretty intentional. I mean, there are lots of reasons why we should be meeting in person, having coffee, sharing a meal. And I'm even trying to play with what's the criteria, right? Like, like if I know somebody – and have a long time relationship with them. Most of the time we meet can be on Zoom because I know them and we 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 are in relationship. It doesn't mean we don't go out to dinner occasionally. It doesn't mean we're not intentional to say, let's have coffee next week and, right. and be in the same room together, etc. But I've been worried if you if I've been working with someone for five years and we're doing something where we need to touch base regularly, there's no reason for us to spend as much time getting to a meeting as we're gonna spend meeting. Yeah. The other criteria yeah. for me is that, you know, I think the people that can attend a meeting in different ways when you don't have a travel restriction, it's pretty fundamentally different. I mean, I had a great meeting with some work we're doing on how do we achieve equity in the homelessness response system as we're placing people into housing, right? Fundamental issue. In San Francisco, 65% of homeless adults are black male. 
Five percent of the population. I mean, it is it is just it is one of the ways that racism absolutely manifests in San Francisco is is by is making black men adults uh, uh, homeless at a rate absolutely disproportionate to the to the rest of the population. So amazing. We're working with some folks, but you know, I talked with these really great women about the work and how they're going to help us. And one was in Austin, and one was in Washington D.C. Now we're planning for them to come out. But but we had a great meeting, and we could do that quite effectively. And even if they're going to come out once, I would say 80% of their work, once they come out and we've been in the same room together, can happen through um, through Zoom and through other um, through other methods like that, right? And right. Which I right. find to be fundamentally different than conference calls. Because I do think when you can see somebody, or at least you know that they're there in a different way, even if they're not using their video feature, it's just different, right? They have a box, yeah. and they're in the box. <laughs> like they're in there. So that's going to be professionally, I think, something that changes too, where um, I'm going to be as intentional as I was about meetings before. You know, I don't think it's a re- – I think people have used it as a as a way to say, now that I don't have travel time before between meetings, I can meet 10 times, 10 times more meetings. I don't, I don't yeah, mean right. that. Um, no, no, that's crazy. Think, I think there's a whole two issue around, um, you know, equity and accessibility. Yeah. Well, how many conferences do do people go to be don't go to because they're either disabled or can't afford it? Right. Well, I think that's been a really big issue because I mean, you know, before I lived, before I was stranded in Iowa, I was on the island of Molokai. You know, which had like very similar issues of like getting out, like having, you know, going to the conferences and, you know, just even in on other islands within the state, you know, a lot of times it could be prohibitive, right? You know, cost wise and just energy wise, because it's like, oh, I have to fly to Honolulu and then I have to fly to Maui and Kauai and, you know, all these places to meet in person. You know, for so for years, you know, we've been trying to say, oh, but we there's this new thing called Zoom, and we could meet in Zoom, and really, it's just as good. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so now, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's really changed the way that we can do it, I, and not that I don't value meeting in person because I do, but Absolutely. I think that, and and I I think though that your criteria is right on. You know, if you already have a relationship with someone, I think then you can you know, take it to, you know, Zoom quite easily. But also I've had great meetings with people during this time, like, you know, with the Omidyar Fellows, like on Zoom, right? Because that's all we've been doing for the last year and a half. It's still a powerful meeting space. Yep, absolutely. What, what we'll have to be careful with, right, is that people want to create, an, people are kind of little inequity-making machines, so I'm oh, yeah. already seeing the discussion about, well, we'll do hybrid. And, and we just have to be very intentional about how we do that because then you have a group of people that are in the room and a group of people that are not in the room because it's different, right? Yeah. Like it's not the same. It's kind of – there is an element, I think, although we'll experiment with this, where if you have a, a board meeting and two board members are on a call and the rest are in the conference room, right, very soon into the meeting, those two members become – secondary participants to the meeting. Absolutely. And I think that is the difference between the conference call and the Zoom, right? So, yep. 
yeah. I, I think it's like being able to see people. And then I do think like, you know, we have to be intentional about that equity, the diversity and the inclusion. Like, I think that this reset has given everyone and especially those of us who work in that um, with those paradigms. Right. And so we also have to go into this with a lot more intention of than the world that we want to create coming out of this. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and now we know we have the tools and that we don't have any excuse. You know, it's so, like, like we know this works. It's works great. Absolutely. So we know we can get, you know, people who are parenting, people who are single parents, you know, people who may not have the money to show up in person and, you know, just making sure that we get people the, the right tools to be able to show up. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Peter Block says in his book, The Structure of Community, he says that mm-hmm. every time we meet is an opportunity to live in the world we want to create. Yeah. I and love I that. That, that, is, that, that, is, that that is true. Um, and I think that that's, um, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And so how is your, how is your new job coming? How is your, your job? What did, how did you say it? It's like everything that you've been working towards your entire life is it what is, you're doing. Right now. You know, yes, yeah, so that, that's what, you know, I'm at the point in my career when I ask myself these, what, what the question I ask myself always is if I'm given some new opportunity, is this what I've been preparing for? That's right. And uh, I think this is the job that I've been preparing for. You know, it's interesting because it's a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. It has a large degree of complexity. Yeah. But what's really interesting is at this moment in time, in San Francisco, because of a number of different factors, around this issue of housing, this of achieving our homeless housing placement goals, which are very ambitious, mm-hmm. there is no resource constraint. This is the, the it, and it's fascinating. Like, like there is enough money and enough housing availability to do what we need to do over the next twelve months. And it, it is it's interesting because I found myself changing the message recently pretty substantially because like I was meeting with a group of people who run a hotel for really medically fragile people. It's a beautiful thing. They've gotten. All of these really sick homeless people off the streets. A subcomponent of the program is they have this um, a medical alcohol program. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain group of people that won't come in. And as much as we talk about all sorts of other drugs, fentanyl and, and meth, and we have we have to be concerned about those drugs. Man, it's alcohol. Alcohol right. is the predominant drug for the predominant number of people. Creates the most harm. Kills yeah. the most people. <laughs> I mean, it's it's alcohol. And, you know, for the chronic inebriate, for the guy who's been drinking for 50 years, as a child of God, he can benefit from a 12-step program just like anybody else. Absolutely. I believe that every core of my being. The chances of that happening, just percentage-wise, are really mm-hmm. too small to count on when you're dealing with the homeless population. They, people should be given abstinence opportunities. We don't do enough of that. People should... Be introduced to 12-step. We don't do enough of that. People should have recovery programs that that give abstinence as an option. We don't do enough of that in San Francisco. I believe all of that. But the guy who's been out there drinking for 50 years, 
not enough of them are going to get sober in the way that we traditionally define it to bank on that as a, as a strategy, really, um, or, or at least a significant strategy. So one of the things that's been people have been doing is these um, programs where alcohol is prescribed. They they make a contract with a some a, a, a chronic alcoholic come into the, come into this program. Uh-huh. We'll get you off the streets, and then we'll here's how many drinks we'll give you every day. Um, wow! And it 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 they say it reduced. They experimented with seven people, and I think in the first, like, I don't know, six or like nine months, I think. This is rough numbers. I think they saved a million dollars in uh, 911 ambulance rides. Wow. With just those seven people, I want to say. Um, right, because then you're, you, yeah, because then you're just, you're you're monitoring, you know, you, you have that person, you're monitoring how much they're drinking. And, and they know like, how to drink. I mean, they know, by and large, they know how to drink. I mean, you know, they know how to drink and, and, and you know, and lay down or whatever. I mean, like, you know, it's it's like they have that down. It's the other stuff. Yeah. It's the ancilla, like, it's not having a place to lay down. It's not having a place to get your liquor. It's, 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 it's being on the street with money to get your liquor and somebody beating you up before you get there. So those are the, and the actual drinking yeah. part, most chronic, most, most chronic alcoholics have down. They know how yeah. to drink, how much to drink what to do after they drank, right? So um, so that's exciting. But I was telling this group of people, right, that part of the messaging I'm saying now is, listen, I want to tell you something. We have enough housing for the people that you're, you're serving. So if we don't find them a house, we failed. Mm-hmm. It's not because we, what we do is we use scarcity as an excuse all the time. We overuse scarcity as an excuse. But it's often a much – it's a pretty convenient – Excuse, it's often true. I mean, right? Like, but in San Francisco, right. just around the number of people we have to house over the next twelve months, we 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 have enough units, and it's just important then to reframe the issue. Say, if we don't, yeah. for me to be really upfront about, it, say, if we don't get housing for everyone that you say is housing ready in your medical fragile, medically fragile homeless person hotel, you know, then mm-hmm. that, we fail. You should call us on that. You should say, you told me you have a unit, and I referred this person for housing, and a month later, they're not in housing. What happened? Is You don't have a unit anymore? Or you're just not doing your job? <laughs> and and that's, the, that's the frame. I said, I want you to, to call me. Here's my cell. And if you make a referral, and a month later, somebody's not in housing, you should call me and ask why I failed. And maybe there will be actual reasons, you know, maybe there'll be reasons or not. So it's an interesting thing about to do this work, you know, from a systems change standpoint, there's almost a purity in the work when you take out the resource question. It's still hard, but it's hard because of people's fears. It's hard because of my inability to look at a situation comprehensively enough. It's hard because we haven't figured out the right leverage point yet. It's hard for all these kind of pure systems reasons, which makes it quite fascinating, right? Like that's it. So, anyway, as you can tell, um, most days I'm having a great time. Uh, <laughs> other days I feel the weight of the responsibility heavy on 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 me, and then other days I'm just frustrated as hell. So, but you know that's the, that's the mix, and you know it would be fun. Sounds great. The next time we talk, it'd be fun to do a full-on just on um, on systems change 
and yeah. system transformation because I'm really just just really if we do this in a month or two again, yeah. I'll just I'll be about ninety days into this work and I'll really have a it would be fun to talk with you because you you know as somebody else who gets large scale systems and how you have to have the kind of field awareness that allows you to see how everything's fit together, we could yeah. really have a great riff on that. I would love to. So I've been working a lot with um, doing a bunch of research right now on diversity and inclusion, like in the systems that we're working with right now, because I've, I have personally hit my own wall with dealing with racism. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, we need to change this. Like, yep. Yep. It's over. (laughs) Absolutely. It is. Yeah, and if I am not in that space actively trying to understand what is preventing us from changing it, I am part of the problem, absolutely. and I may as well be one of those white women who voted for Trump. That's what absolutely. I decided. No, absolutely. I feel the same. Yep. I, it's it's really not pro. You know, and I mean these things relate. It's not pro. It's not. It's not possible to talk about systems transformation without talking about how how race and equity. Right on the one hand, prevent it, and on the other hand, can be a significant um, – uh, and create – and on the one hand, prevent it, and on the other hand, create the significant energy necessary to change it. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, because, no. because racism yeah. is uh, – I mean, one of the biggest things that racism does, right, is it blocks the transformative energy. That's- right. I mean, all of all of those things. And when it comes down to it, Chris, you touched on something scarcity. I think the isms, everything is based in fear. It's based and, in and, and, and fear is based on scarcity. What what right. what do I have that I want to keep? Right. Or what do I need that I want to get? Right. So then so I, I think then that the powers that try to keep us in this place, like create these systems that then are zero sum games. Absolutely. And, and so it's like, Oh yeah, but if they get that, you won't have this. And and, and absolutely. And it it is, it's the biggest power I think we have is to step outside of that box and to say, yeah, no, fuck that shit. You know what? We all have enough for everyone to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's what we're, playing with in San Francisco right now. Woo! Go team! <laughs> All right, well, listen, we're, we're, okay. we're committed to keeping I, these, because we could talk for an hour, but then people would have to listen for an hour. So let's get yeah, together and, soon then, again and talk it. systems. Okay, great talk. 90 days. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. And if you found this interesting or provocative or maddening, Well, leave me a review and tell me about it. Drop me a line. Let me know some of your stories. And thanks again for joining me. I look forward to talking to you again. Have a great day. Be well. Stay present. Aloha.